Uh, Let me pray, and we'll jump into our content. Lord, we are thankful for your church. We are thankful for the way you have ordained order and structure to your church, Lord. Were we all alone in our faith, it would be chaos. It would be undisciplined. Lord, it would be a mess. But you have not left us alone. You have united us to a body which is organized as a church. And we don't take that for granted. I pray, Lord, as we look at our history and what it means not just to be uh, in the PCA, but members of TCPC, Lord, that we, uh, we would celebrate your faithfulness and your goodness. Because, Lord, you have promised the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. That's not a unique promise given to the Presbyterian Church in America or even TCPC, but uh, that your church will be triumphant. We pray that we would humbly continue on underneath your blessing and guidance that we might join the triumph of the saints. Bless our time together. Give us clear thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me remind us where we are and where we're going. The way I've structured it is through three talks, Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We decided to go backwards through that. We started with church and just looked at the church Catholic and the necessity of being a member there. Last week, we looked at Presbyterianism, uh, which I wish we had more than 30 minutes to do. There was so much more I could have said. But we looked at the structures of sessions and presbyteries and general assemblies um, and the way we do business and the way we do discipline. And that's true of every Presbyterian church. Uh, So we're going to talk about the PCA today, but that's true of the USA church. That's true of the EPC church. That's true of the Presbyterian church in in Togo, which I'm uh, an ordained minister of. I have a dual ordination, one in the Presbyterian church in Togo, which I did nothing to get that ordination except show up and preach, and they gave it to me. I like that kind of ordination, Uh, and I'm also an ordained minister in the PCA. All of them function the same way, okay? So what I said last week is true of all of them, but this week we're going to talk about what's unique about the PCA and TCPC in particular. Um, Let me just say as an aside, many of you came up to me, and I didn't, I intentionally did not do this, but I I thank you for, for, uh, I agree with you. Some of you have come up to me and said, man, I'm just so thankful, there's so much, uh, there's so much drama going on in the, um, in the SBC right now um, with the uh, Paige Patterson and, and the female uh, abuse stuff. Um, there's so much going on in the convention right now. There's so much problems with like non-denominational, kind of just broadly evangelical autonomous churches getting in trouble with uh, scandals. And many of you come to me and said, I'm just so thankful for the Presbyterian Church because it doesn't mean that there are things that don't happen Many of you know we are in the middle of, we had a congregation with me a few weeks ago about the discipline of a former pastor here. It certainly happens, but that we have a structure of accountability and authority and discipline in place. I agree with that. I truly do. I just, I really didn't want this, this lecture series to turn into look at all of these, you know, non-denominational churches, Baptist churches, congregationalist churches, and all this stuff. Look at all the problems they have. We've got to figure it out. I just don't want it to be that, okay? I get it, and thank you for for, uh, pointing that out. And you're right. I think that is true, that we do have a structure in place. But 
Um, I believe what we believe. I believe in what we do because it's from Scripture, and I just want to focus on that. So uh, that's my one aside. Um, okay. So we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to go from the PCA all the way down to TCPC this morning. We're going to talk about the formation of the PCA and then how we as a local church uh, uh, operate and function, both in decision making and in discipline and shepherding. Um, Let's start way back when we're talking about the PCA. What is the PCA? Now, let's just say this up front. Um, You know, whenever I am in circles... uh, uh, whenever I'm in circles that are unfamiliar with, uh, unfamiliar with um, the, uh, the the distinctions of the Presbyterian Church, and I say I'm a Presbyterian minister, I always have to qualify that. I always have to see, but this is what that means. Same with the evangelical. Honestly, I'm an evangelical, but da 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 da. I'm a Presbyterian, but da 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 da. And the reason why is because there are obviously different Presbyterians, and the predominant Presbyterian denomination, although. It is very quickly doing this. But right now, still the predominant Presbyterian denomination in the United States is the Presbyterian USA. We are a PCA church. So in Lexington, there is only two PCA churches. Um, There are many uh, USA churches. But again, the USA denomination is really really, uh, losing membership in churches quickly, and the PCA is growing. So it won't be like that for long. But uh, let's see how we got to the PCA and what that is. the whole thing started in 1789, okay? I'm going to do a little bit of history. Again, let me remind you that if you're wanting the full scope of, of Reformation, Presbyterian history, that's online. You can get that. I lectured on that already. But I'm going to do a brief sketch here. 1789, the PCUSA was officially founded. It was under the leadership of the guy who I said last week, the founding father, who was instrumental in, um, in, in deciding how it is that um, the United States of America would do governing um, and set up the system that really reflects the Presbyterian church. Uh, John Witherspoon was a Presbyterian minister. Um, he was uh, very instrumental in the formation of the Articles of Confedera- Confederation, but also he was the founder of the Presbyterian church in the United States of America in 1789. And we continued on, the Presbyterian Church, and it was a very um, reform, it was, it, was, it was very much a, a Scottish Presbyterian Church in every sense of the word, um, confessionally pure, um, practice, discipline, ordination, all that stuff. It continued as such um, until a great divide that took place in the United States. Um, and... Um, and uh, it was formed in 1789. In 1861, there was a huge divide. Not surprisingly, it was a north-south divide. Now, it's very easy to say this is just a civil war thing. And certainly that played into it, no doubt. No doubt that the cultural stuff going on also played into the denominational church stuff that was going on. However, the big divide was a doctrinal divide. And the doctrinal divide was over this issue called subscription, okay? And this is important for you if you want to understand ordination. We are a confessional denomination. What that means is we subscribe to the Westminster Confessions of Faith. We talked about that last week. That is our governing document. So when I get ordained, the first question they ask me is, do you take any exceptions to the Westminster Confessions of Faith? Meaning, do you believe Westminster got it wrong in any area? Um, and most today do take a couple common exceptions. I took two exceptions to the Westminster Confessions of Faith. I disagree with Westminster 
Well, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to take the time to explain it. But I disagree in two, two areas. Um, there was a time, and this is where the divide came, there, is, there, is, there are two camps in the Presbyterian church. I know this is like, y'all are going to roll your eyes at us, and I get it. There are two camps. One, that would be a strict subscriptionalist camp that says you have to strictly subscribe to Westminster. You cannot take an exception to Westminster. That's still true of the church in Scotland, the Free Church of Scotland. You cannot take an exception to Westminster, okay? Then there's a camp that says you're allowed to take exceptions to Westminster and still be ordained. You just have to give a good defense from Scripture of why you hold to that conviction. Now, not all exceptions are the same. So I took exception to the way the Westminster describes the Sabbath. That's okay. If I, if I took exception to the way the Westminster describes the Trinity, that's not okay. They would not ordain me. So... The big divide all along has always come down to where you stand on Westminster. This big divide, the North and South divide, was that the North wanted to move toward allowing exceptions. The South wanted to hold to strict subscriptions, okay? That was the big divide. Can we ordain people who take exceptions? And that divide uh, took place in 1861. Again, of course, there were cultural things going on at the time that played into that. So what happened when that divide took place? And this is where my uh, Scotland brothers would say, see, you Americans. What happened is that when they started to allow exceptions to Westminster, the denomination in the north quickly started moving to- away from orthodoxy. Okay, and that's where the argument, the slippery slope argument from our strict subscriptionist brothers would say. You don't mess with Westminster, it just starts going haywire. Well, what happened is that the northern church, you got the PCUSA in the north, the PCUS in the south. Presbyterian Church of the United States of America in the north, Presbyterian Church of the United States in the south. I know. Um, The northern church quickly moved away from, um, started moving away, but it accelerated pretty quickly, away from historical orthodoxy and Westminster Confessions of Faith. Now, out of that movement came a few splintering Denominations that are that are around today still, some of them, some of them not, that are really small. I'm ignoring all of those. Okay, there are of course the OPC, um, the RPC, which we'll talk about in a second. There are of course smaller off branches, but the big divide was the USA in the north, the US in the south. The USA quickly started moving away from orthodoxy. The US Church in the south held on for a while. Um, for, for, honestly, for decades. Until uh, mid-20th century, uh, the 60s, 50s and 60s, particularly the 60s, the U.S. church started moving away from, um, they, start, they allowed uh, exceptions to Westminster, and they started moving away from historical reformed orthodoxy. And I won't go, again, I go into it in the lecture, I won't go into it in great detail but essentially what was happening in the Southern Church, the Presbyterian U.S., is that they were, um, they were ordaining. It was more over social issues than doctrinal issues, though doctrinal issues came into play. But the social issues of abortion and evolution was really big back then, things like this, that uh, led to uh, the formation of the PCA. But there were doctrinal things, too. Uh, Sartell, who was around during all of this, he remembers going to Presbytery and them ordaining ministers who denied the virgin birth of Mary and the resurrection of Jesus and these types of things. So certainly there's doctrinal and social issues going on. 
What happened is in 19, um, in 1973, uh, about 40,000 people, uh, I wish I had the stats, not many churches, uh, 40,000 people decided we're going to leave the PCUS and form a new denomination. So in 1973, the PCA was founded in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, okay? Um, the, uh, the, the home of the PCA is, is, is in Birmingham, where I'm actually preaching next week, and I'm going to give them a hard time um, about all that. Uh, so, uh, so the PCA was formed in Alabama, and it was formed largely as a southern denomination of those who wanted to leave the U.S. US church because of its progressive liberalism. When that happened... The, the remaining U.S. churches that didn't want to leave for the PCA just joined the USA, okay? And so that's, how we, that's, that's why we are what we are today. The USA church, which is all of the, of course, the old northern denomination along with the southern churches that didn't want to go with the PCA, that's all the USA. And then you've got the PCA. Now, what has happened, and I allude to this, what has happened very quickly is that the PCUSA is the is the fastest dying denomination. The PCA is the fastest growing, at least conservative evangelical reform denomination. And so very quickly it's doing this. But what happened initially is that the PCA did see a lot of uh, growth, uh, not just in the South, but starting to move North through its church planning and missions. Um, In 1982, something else very significant happened for the PCA. In 1982, um, there was a smaller reformed denomination called the RPC, Reformed Presbyterian Church. Again, they have historical roots where they, they, they went away from the USA church. The RPC, we extended an invitation and the RPC joined the PCA. We actually extended it to the OPC, which is the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and the RPC. The OPC said no, and they still exist, very small denomination. The RPC said yes. The reason why the RPC is so important is because the RPC had two uh, significant institutions, a college and a seminary. Covenant College, Lookout Mountain, Georgia. If you've ever been there, it sits on top of the hill. Beautiful college. We own that college. And then Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, which is the denominational seminary that I I went to, denominational seminary for the PCA. So um, one of the things that really aided the growth of PCA is in 1982, we got a college and a seminary with historical roots and in really good institutions. Along with, from the beginning, uh, the PCA decided that they would, uh, they want to be in the game of campus ministry. And so what they did is they said that we have a college, we have a seminary, and then we literally have our own denominational campus ministry. We have a, a, a permanent committee of our denomination that only exists to reach college students. Very strategic move. Uh, that was Reform University Fellowship. Um, that's a permanent committee of the PCA. Uh, I thought I saw Sam here, but maybe he's not. Sam. That's Sam. So he is a part of that. Sam is the RUF Campus Ministry, University of Kentucky. There are Sams all over the country. Um, and, well, there's only one Sam. There's, there's, there's only one Sam Taft. We've, we've got the best of all of these. But, uh, but RUF, uh, they say that. And then... 
right alongside of that, and this is why it's really exciting for TCPC and why I'm going in this, this voltage, is also Briarwood, where the PCA started, they also said, we want to be in the business of campus ministry, and so they started Campus Outreach. And then the, the view of campus outreach is we're going to expand to local churches in the uh, broadly reformed evangelical world. So we are a hub church for campus outreach, and we've got RUF, so we're doubly blessed in this. But from the beginning, the PCA did campus ministry, um, they did a college, and they did a seminary. And that, along with cultural movements... Uh, which would be the reform resurgence. I'm not going to go into that, but over the past few decades, we've seen a resurgence of the reform faith has led to the explosion of the PCA. So uh, where we come to with Tate's Creek, um, in 1983, uh, I put it on there, it's just kind of a decade of growth. I didn't want you to see it as just, it started in Briarwood and, and just kind of remained this sort of thing. It really started to expand in all those different things. But in 1984, the, the one of those that I think is really important, obviously, is that uh, we, this church was planted in 1984 on Tate's Creek Road, which is why we are Tate's Creek Christian Church, but on Man of War Road. I know that can be confusing. But originally we met um, in an apartment complex off of Tate's Creek Road by Al Lutz. Al Lutz plants TCPC in 1984. So we are 9404, 20, what is that, 35 years into this thing. And um, the Lord has, has been faithful. We've been through a lot as a church, as many of you know. We've been living in some of that uh, recently, but the Lord has been faithful. And here we are. So we are a PCA church, not a USA church, and that's significant. All right, TCPC. How does TCPC do things? That's the history of how we got here. How do we function? Now, the reason why that matters is because when I talked last week about how the Presbyterian Church functions as a session of elders that's accountable to a, um, a greater body, the Presbyterian, that's accountable to a greater body, the General Assembly. And what those bodies do is they form the Book of Church Order, which is kind of our constitution of how we operate around here. Well, within the Book of Church Order, there is great flexibility for each PCA church to be very unique in how it functions. So meaning, the Book of Church Order would say, here's what you can and cannot do in worship, but anything else inside of the can do, you're free to form that however you want. Here's what you must do. You must have elders. Here are the elder qualifications. They must be in charge. You've got to call teaching elders. Here's how you do it. But how your session functions, you guys go figure that out. So it's this perfect blend of, um, of independence where we're able to become what we feel like God's leading us to be underneath the structure of the order. So how are we? We are different than other PCA churches. How do we function? This is actually a good time to be doing this uh, lecture series because uh, a couple years ago, this was a burning question for our church. And the reason why it's a burning question is because of the change in uh, culture and growth. Um, there is an article that if you want to understand some of the growing pains of all churches and, and just see it statistically just perfectly done, um, it was done by uh, Tim Keller, of all people, who's not normally known in this realm, but he wrote an article called Church Growth Dynamics. And you can Google that and read that. But we, if you look at his article and you look at our, uh, our church, you can see it follow along. It basically says... When you, the big thresholds are um, uh, 400, 800, and, and then 1,000 and on or something like that. But anyway, 
What happens is when you see growth, um, it changes the way you do uh, church, not just decision making, but also um, discipline, shepherding, and whatnot. So at one point, TCPC was able to do dis- decision making um, as a smaller church. And that's, that's really simple. You just have a committee of everybody. You got a few elders and set up some committees, and they do that. You got one pastor who's speaking into this and obviously an influential voice and, and whatnot. Um, okay, but what happens when you have 800 members? What happens when you have 1,000 members? What happens when you have, I, I think we're like, 1,250 members we are now or something like that. What, how do you do it then? Well, now it gets really a lot more complicated. How do you do it when you've got multiple pastors and multiple staffs? How do you do that? Well, what we discovered as a session is we obviously had the growth, but we had not decided how are we going to do governance and decision-making as a larger church. We were still operating under an, an old, smaller model, and it was really, we were really struggling it because you had these pastors and staff who were really eager and passionate vision, but we got this old school of operation and, and, and uh, of ruling elders speaking into every single decision that was being made and congregants all thinking, well, I used to be involved in that decision. It was just, you know, we need to figure this out. In the same way, shepherding. How do you shepherd? There's, you know, smaller churches, it's really easy. You got a pastor. Maybe some elders help out a little bit, but, they, you know, he knows everybody, and he pastors them, and he loves them well and whatnot. Well, um, A, I couldn't even do that if I had a small church because I'm just not wired that way. I'm not good at that. B, there's no way I can do it with a large church. So how do you shepherd all these people? So how do all these people make decisions? How do you shepherd all these people? Well, our session decided, rightfully so, we need to, we need to form a study committee to, to study governance and decision-making. And this is fairly new. And one of the reasons why I'm excited about this lecture series is to help you understand how it is we do governance. And so you can just clearly understand how TCPC functions, okay? All right, what came out? Of course, the session is the ultimate authority. The session remains on the top of the thing. We talked about that last week. We're Presbyterian. It would be outside the Book of Church order for us to say that the session is not in charge, okay? So, of course, the session is still the governing body. But again, can the session be making every decision? Can the session be uh, down in the weeds and all that stuff? No, absolutely not. So what the session decided to do, if you want to think about it for you board people, um, if you want to think about it, they made an executive board, okay? So um, you got a board and you got an executive board. So in an executive board, all of the stuff comes to the executive board and the executive board wrestles through the big stuff, decides we have the ability to make this decision. This decision is probably too big for us to make, so we need to bring that to the greater board, but we bring it with a recommendation for them to debate and discuss. We felt like we needed another layer of that, so we came up with the advisory committee to the session. Here is who is on your advisory committee. Now, I would say the session is the ultimate authority of the church, decision-making body of the church. They are fully informed and making all the big decisions. But I would say most of the discussion, dialogue, vetting stuff happens at this level. This is the advisory committee session. Who's on that? Every pastor has a seat on that. And, and, the, and the, uh, the session wanted to make that clear. How do you balance the staff-led church with the elder-led church? Well, we need to put all of the staff, all the teaching elders on that. Right now we have four teaching elders, so all four of us have a seat on that. Me, Mark, Will, Marshall. As soon as somebody gets ordained, they're on that, okay? So all of our teaching elders have a permanent seat on the AC. So does the clerk of the session. The clerk of the session is the other nominated position of the session, um, elected position of the session. The clerk is basically the, the right-hand man of the moderator, 
and um, in some ways kind of the leader of the ruling elders. So that's not explicit, but that's kind of how it functions. So the clerk of the session, the elders of the session, uh, the chairman of the diaconate. So we thought that there needed to be deacon representation on this committee. So the chair of the diaconate, whoever that is right now, that's Ian Thornton. That chair is a permanent seat on the shepherding committee. Or excuse me, on the AC, administrative committee. Then there are two rotating uh, positions. One is two rotating ruling elders. Okay, so it's not just the clerk as a ruling elder. We thought there would need to be more ruling elders on there. So there's two ruling elders that are on this committee. This is a rotating position. So right now it's Rick Endine and Wayne Marlowe. They have staggering terms, uh, meaning one signed up for one year and the other signed up for two-year term. It's a two-year term, but, but, but uh, one signed up for one year, the other signed up for two years, so that, they're constant, so that going forward they're, they're rotating through that. And those are elected by the session for two-year term. They can be re-elected for another two-year term. After that, they have to rotate off, okay? So you've got two ruling elders elected by the session to serve on the advisory committee for two-year terms, all right? And then this is, this is the other one that um, I'm really proud of our church for doing. I think it fits with some of the discussion that's going on. The PCA last year did a study committee um, on the role of women in the PCA. Um, you know, as we move forward as a complementarian denomination, we want to hold to that, but we also know the complexities of our culture, and we need to ask the question, okay, we need, to, we need to be asking, how can we uh, empower women to use their gifts in our church? Where are we missing it? And they came up with a good, good document. Um, um, the, the, the Women's Study Committee came back with a really, really good uh, report that encouraged all churches to do this. One of the applications we made is um, this, the AC has to have female voices into this. This is, this, this is a crucial part of the decision-making and thought process that, that we were missing. And so there are two female members of the advisory committee to the session, and they are rotating positions as well. Two years uh, can be reelected for two years and then must rotate off. Uh, and that has been vital. It is in God's good providence um, we, uh, it's, it's Jana Circle and Ann Briggs are, are, are your female representatives on the AC. And right as, um, right before this controversy came that we had a congregational meeting above, which had a lot of legality to it, Jana, who's an attorney, um, was, was put on the AC and she has been invaluable along with Ann, who's been here forever and has, and, and knew Brad and, and historical complications complexions and all that stuff, and she has been invaluable. So this has been a saving grace in so many different ways. So there are two females permanent positions on the AC. So that AC receives all of the, uh, all the motions, all the communications, all that, debates it, discusses it, makes recommendations of the session, the session uh, votes on those recommendations. All right, well, who, how do you get to the AC? Beneath the AC, they put we're called dyads, okay? Um, there are, there are uh, we took all of our business and we put a dyad being over worship at TCPC is me and another ruling elder that rotates. So, so it's, a, it's a, a pastor and elder. You'll see the representation there, the dual representation there. Over worship, it's me and another ruling elder. Over education, it's Mark and another ruling elder. Over community, it's Mark, another ruling elder. Mission, Nate, and a ruling elder. Expansion, Will, and a ruling elder. Administration, Bobby, and a ruling elder. And then we have two permanent boards 
at TCPC, Trinity and Campus Outreach. So those boards go, uh, go through the AC as well, and then those board chairs rep, you know, represent those boards and whatnot. So we have two permanent boards, and then these dyads that, that speak to the AC that gets to the session. Okay, underneath those dyads, and I just put committees. <laughs> um, you just, each dyad has its own committees underneath. Some have more than others, depending on the needs, but there's committees underneath those dyads that do the work of the church and speak to these dyads and whatnot. Each of those dyads um, has its own committees that does its own works and stuff like that. So uh, that is how your church, TCPC, functions and operates. We're gonna get to shepherding in a second, but I thought I'd do this, and I'm a, I can't take questions forever, but are there any questions about that structure that I just, that I just explained? Does that make sense? I would love for everybody in our church to know and understand how we operate as a church. Are there any questions to that? Non-controversial questions, that is. Yeah. No, 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 no. Committees are, are, are members of the church. You have to be a member of church to be on a committee. Good question. Deacons, I'm not getting into. Um, I just decided not to do that with Presbyterianism. So here's what happened. The elders of the church were doing their work in Acts. And the church was exploding and had all this work in the shepherding. And a good old-fashioned church fight breaks out with the women. <laughs> The older women of the church are having a fight. The widows are fighting over who's getting more of the church's provisions. Because at the time, the church was just, they would feed. They'd take in all the widows and they'd feed them. Well, the widows are fighting over who's getting more food. And the elders in the middle of this fight, trying to figure it out and, and, and get everybody the right food and stuff like that. And one of them said, it's not right for us to be forsaking the ministry of word and prayer to be waiting on tables. We need help. And they started another office called deacons, which means servants, bond servants. And so deacons is a separate office in the Presbyterian church that handles the mercy needs of the church, the finances of the church, the property of the church. It frees elders up to be able to do the pastoring work of the church. I just didn't feel like, because it's not an office of authority, I didn't feel like I need to get into that. But that's where the deacon thing comes in. Crucially important. They are the servants of the church. And, uh, and we have a wonderful diaconate here. Good question. Any other questions? Yes? Who is it who elects the rotating members of the advisory committee? The session. Session elects the members of the advisory committee. Good question. Any other? Yes? We have trustees. Oh, Sherry, I love you. Yeah, we have trustees. <laughs> All right. So there's Presbyterianism. All right, and everything I just said is Presbyterianism, but we also live in a world, we also live, we are uh, uh, our own, what are they called? Uh, what's, what's the nonprofit? Corporation, but there's a, yeah, anyway. Jana, where do our trustees come in? That's a good question for our female advisory committee attorney. We're working on that. It's to be discussed and revamped. What an answer. Basically, trustees come in because, because the laws of, our, of the Commonwealth say that this corporation needs to have that. So right now, um, they, Dave, what do the trustees do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Dave's a trustee. Uh, we have Dave Pendry, Chris Lee, and Gary Kendrick, and they do nothing. Um, 
they sign our documents. So it's legal. No authority, no responsibility. No authority, no responsibility except to sign what the session says, sign here. So those are our trustees. We are revamping it. We want to be more thoughtful about our trustees. Good question, though. So if, if we loan money, Dave's signing it, not me. Right? No, not loan. Take a loan. All right, other questions? Good question, Sherry. All right, uh, last one is, is really simple. How do we shepherd? So that's how we do business. That's how we do things. How do we shepherd and discipline? Really simple. Uh, we, went to, we went to a model where we just divided. You know this. We divided our congregation into parishes. Each parish has elders. And the parishes are, com- are constantly being uh, worked and improved upon, evaluated. We added the parish groups this year, and those have gone well. But this has worked well from the beginning. And this was the original intention of this. How do we shepherd and discipline the people of Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church? Discipline in a good sense, or it could be a punitive sense. Uh, by, by the parish. By parishes. So you, the congregation had been broken down according to our demographics. You'll see some of them are smaller than others. That's because there's more people that live in those. And then elders live in each parish and deacons. So um, in a positive sense... If you come and say, I've got this issue, I need help, the people that will be put on that situation is your parish elders. And if there's a mercy need, um, you know, there's a financial need or something like that, a deacon will join in on that in a positive, you know, helping you sense. In a a church discipline sense, if you made the regrettable decision of... of, entering into unrepentant sin, had an affair, something like that, the people who are going to contact you are your parish elders, um, the ones who are in your parish. So that's who you go to with your needs, and that's who will come to you if there's, a, if there's an issue in a situation. So we shepherd that way. Now, the primary way we shepherd, so listen, if you say, I'm not known, I don't feel like anybody's helping me, I don't, I don't feel like, okay, you have elders that you can come to, those are your parish elders. The other way is you gotta be in a parish group. It's just, it's just too big for us to shepherd everybody and know everybody. That, that's why we put that community and discipleship program in place for you to be known and to known. And those are organized according to our parishes. So how do we shepherd a TCPC? Very simple. We do a parish system, which is the old classical church model that, that has proven to work time and time again. And um, elders are over that, deacons are over that, and a pastor is also over each of that. So that's PCA. That's how Taste Creek functions. Here's what I'm going to do next week. Um, I'm going to be in Birmingham uh, preaching at uh, Covenant Press in Birmingham. Uh, that's a favor that uh, Sandy Wilson, our uh, speaker for the conference, he's an interim down there. And while he was here, we kind of made the exchange. He'd come here and I'm preaching down there for him. Uh, so I'm doing that next week and I'll be in Birmingham. But I thought it'd be good for Will to share his personal experience. I mean, we've done all this talking of church, Catholic, and Presbyterianism, and TCPC, and PCA. I thought it'd be good for somebody to come and share their testimony of their journey from the Baptist world into the Presbyterian world. Uh, Will has had quite the journey. Um, um, there was a time when uh, Campus Outreach and Will were at the table of a Baptist church here in town to potentially explore becoming the hub church. And now he's an, a, a teaching elder pastor in the PCA. And so he's going to come and just make this all personalized for you. And maybe you would see some of your journey and his journey and whatnot. He's going to come and talk about that and share that next week. So come back next week, hear a testimony about all that we have been talking about. There's any other questions? 
Um, you can email our trustees and they will get right back to you. 